Hi, I'm Eric Angevine. Welcome to Radio Superfly. I'm recording this episode in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. Between following the endless barrage of depressing national news and taking on the more personal task of overseeing my son's final semester of high school, a few more, quote, normal events have passed under my radar. One of those events was the death of legendary Nigerian drummer Tony Allen, who passed on April 30th, 2020, in Paris. Allen will be remembered as a crucial figure in Felicuti's creation of Afrobeat, which took the world by storm in the 1970s. Kuti was famously controlling and wrote all the musical parts for his band himself, but he pretty much let Allen do his own thing, because nobody else knew how to do what he could do. And Allen's drumming style, which drew from American jazz and various African styles, was home base and launching pad for the parts Fella laid on top. With great musicians, we often get a sense of destiny, that genius is present from early childhood and that one's future is on rails. Not so with Tony Allen. He told his own story in an autobiography published in 2013, starting with his childhood in Lagos in the 1940s. As he grew to adulthood, music was an afterthought. He went to drafting school for a while, then electronics school, and he eventually took a job as a radio technician. He spun records as a party DJ, and when he finally took up instruments, he tried guitar, upright bass, and saxophone before settling on the drums. He began playing live with high life bands, some of which I've explored in earlier episodes of this show. Nigerian big bands were mostly playing safe, danceable tunes like waltzes, mambos, and rumbas. Playing nightly in that setting let Alan learn his instrument quickly. He recalled in his autobiography that an observer assumed he had been playing for years and was astonished to learn that it had only been eight months. Alan quickly grew bored with the basic high-life style of drumming. He talked about his growing musical palette in his autobiography, titled Tony Allen, an autobiography of the master drummer of Afrobeat. He said, quote, Later, when I started to hear others, like Philly Joe Jones, Elvin Jones, Art Blakey, and Max Roach, it was like magic to me. I felt as if they were stomping on my face with their drumming because they were so great. The way they were drumming, it had all the spirituality and spirit in it. It wasn't English. It wasn't Western. Guys like Max and Elvin and Blakey and Philly Joe, they were telling a story on the drums. End quote. Fate took a hand when Alan met Felicuti, who had a similarly expansive appreciation for musical culture and a visionary desire to do something new. Kuti chose Allen as the drummer for his band Kula Lobitos, which was playing a combination of high life and jazz that proved challenging but intriguing to local audiences in the 60s. 
musically adventurous environment of Kula Lobitos. He summed that fertile creative period up in another passage from his book. Quote, Thank God I got my experience from it. It enlightened me so much about how beautiful and enjoyable drumming could be when you know how to handle it. For Fela and me, that was our trip for one whole year, and I was able to bring all of the jazz into how I played in the new band. High life, jazz, African beats, call it anything. I combined them all together in my own style of playing." End quote. Alan's early life experiences came in handy during the early days with Fela. His expertise with electronics meant he could repair and maintain the group's amplifiers as well as handling his nightly drumming duties. Kula Lobitos burned through musicians at an epic pace, searching for a core group that could keep up with Fela's ideas. Again, from the book, quote, you didn't know what was in the head of this guy, so you would be praying to handle it coolly because it wasn't so easy, and nobody writes music like this guy ever. You were shaking already before you arrived there. So you had to have guts to play in that band." End quote. Obviously, Alan made the cut. Bookings became difficult on a whole new level when civil war broke out in the region in the late 1960s. After some harrowing experiences in Nigeria and Ghana, the band took a major risk and embarked to the United States, hoping to expose Western audiences to their unique style of music. Kula Lobitos gigged all over the country for eight months in 1969, picking up new ideas and experiencing everything America had to offer. Their visas were not completely in order, however, and they were eventually nabbed by immigration in California and targeted for deportation. Allen explained how they managed to record a vital album during that fraught span. Quote, They could have taken us to prison that very day, but they let us go. The hearing was going to come after the beginning of 1970, and we even got a few temporary visa extensions, so we did what we could before the hearing. The main thing was that we wanted to record, and luckily we got a break from a Ghanaian guy named Duke Lumumba. Duke wanted to help us record the music that ended up on the Los Angeles sessions." End quote. Hey. Oh. 
When the band returned to Nigeria in 1970, things were looking up. The war was over, and nightlife in Lagos was booming. Kula Lobitos was renamed Nigeria 70 to reflect the optimism of the times and to signal a new direction. Kuti called their new sound Afrobeat, simply because it sounded catchy and memorable. Nigeria 70 had an early hit with a tune called Jeun Koku, and after that they were the biggest band in the country. Their first hit had an oblique message about greed that presaged a growing political consciousness that would come to define the band throughout the 70s. Here it's worth taking a little time to dig into Alan's style of drumming. Afrobeat songs can be long jams, and other drummers in the 70s couldn't understand how Alan could play and play without getting tired. He explained, quote, When I'm playing the drums, I sit straight. I'm not leaning on any side. I'm right in the middle. That's how I get my balance properly. It's when you're leaning that you might be emphasizing too much on one thing. People think I don't put any effort in my playing, but there's a lot of effort in what I'm delivering. I don't like using force to play the drums because I know when I have to hit them hard. I know when I want something to be stronger. So I'm playing in between. It's kind of like caressing. Thank you. 
Of course, Tony Allen could and did wail when it was called for. The frenetic Alu John Junkie John is a good demonstration of how speedy his drumming could get. Tony Allen and Fela Kuti had an unbreakable bond on stage where improvisation could take a tune to new heights. Allen described his mind meld with Fela during live gigs in the 70s. Quote, I used my freedom to make sure things were tight, man. I heard the way he was writing and it didn't need a lot of overplaying. For example, when he was playing a solo, I kept it steady, but at the same time, I was interacting with him like a jazz drummer. It was really like telepathy between the two of us. It was like we were seeing inside the head of each other." End quote. Offstage, however, fame started to change the dynamic between the two friends. The band grew larger and larger, and fights erupted over money, women, and the influence of outsiders, including legendary British rock drummer Ginger Baker, who began sitting in with the band frequently. I'm going to play for you a tune that I call Black man's cry. One, two, three. Allen pinpointed 1973 as an escalation point in Nigeria's 70s troubles, but he endured the roller coaster ride until 1979 when he left the band for good. His time with the legends of Afrobeat was fruitful, but he was nowhere near done. 
We'll dig into his solo career and collaborations with younger musicians in our next episode. Thanks for joining me on Radio Superfly. I hope you've enjoyed this retrospective on the early career of the late, great Tony Allen. Part two coming soon.